going to invite John up. John is one of our advice elders and helps to give a visionary lead to the church. Um, and I think John is going to be speaking to us this morning on sacrificial living and servant hearts. Um, right. So let's pray for John. <laughs> thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for John. Thank you for the time that he has spent contemplating your word in preparation for this morning. Would you speak to us through his word and open our hearts to hear your word for us this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you very much. Thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yes, so we are on the last in a series again. Um, a series which is, has kind of been over the last few weeks. And, and this, the, the last one is about, as we were just saying, sacrificial living and certain-heartedness and a question of whether we're a peculiar people or just plain weird. Um, just out of interest, does anybody here own a Hyundai car? Has it, or has ever ever owned a Hyundai? Oh, you, you've owned one. Okay, well, we got a couple, I think. Yeah, we, well, we got prayer ministry team afterwards. Um, no, they're actually really good. They've they've really come a long way, and they're very very uh, reliable, very highly thought of cars. Um, and you will probably, from the advert, I would imagine you've seen the logo for Hyundai, or Hyundai, I think, as you're meant to call them now, aren't they? They're becoming quite insistent about that. Uh, does anybody know what that logo signifies? Because the assumption is, of course, that it's an H for Hyundai. But actually, of course, it's not. There's something deeper than that. The Hyundai logo is actually a derivation of their original logo, which was that, and it is a symbol of servanthood. This is about one person serving somebody else. And so I thought that was kind of a good way to kick off a, a, a some thoughts, really, about servanthood and, and how we do that. Because when Matt... Uh, sorry, when uh, Dave Kingsford kind of let me, gave me the kind of subject for, for this um, message, I, I thought, oh, you know, servanthood, this is really going to be easy. You know, this is a, a real gift because, well, it's just such an obvious thing that in our life as Christians that we do. But then I thought, and it really hit me last week, actually, at this service last week when we were, I was looking around the room and I was thinking, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are deeply servant-hearted. You know, people who are passionately servant-hearted. And I would be really uncomfortable coming up here and saying, you've got to be more servant-hearted, you know. Because that, I don't know, it didn't sit comfortably with me. And so, as I suppose, you know, all we always do when we start to kind of prepare a message. I thought I'd better go and have a look at what the Bible said about it, so I did. And I thought I'd see what Jesus said about it, and I did. And actually what I found was slightly different to what I was expecting. I, I don't know, I had this kind of vision and idea about what Jesus said about being servant-hearted. And so I looked for that first reference, and it came actually... Um, it's in Matthew, um, we'll look at it in a second, but what it is, it's, it's something that he said just after he'd called Matthew, okay, and he was eating with the disciples, you know, and then the Pharisees were having a crack, you know, and having a go at him, and he said this, I need my notes for this, it says this, and it's, 
It's Matthew 9.13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I thought, heck, that's interesting. So I looked a bit more into that. And what he was, of course, doing, because he was talking to Pharisees who knew their Bible or their, the, the, the law, he, he was quoting something from Hosea earlier. So I thought, I'll go and have a look at what Hosea says in a bit earlier. And we see Hosea 6.6. 6, it says, for a desired mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God before or more than burnt offerings. Mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God before burnt offerings. This kind of interesting and it was not quite what I was expecting. So what I'd like you to do, if you would, put your finger in the page, as it were, at the moment. And I now want to kind of shift off in a slightly different direction. But we're going to come back to this. But I want to take a bit of diversion, which is relevant, and you'll see it in a minute, hopefully. Now, for the past, I don't know, month or so, I've been boring a few people, a few good friends, about just something that's been plaguing me, my mind, you know, just a, a thought that's been churning over. And that is, do I believe what I believe? And that's quite a hard question if you kind of turn it around to yourself. Do you believe what you believe? And how do I know I believe what I believe? And Matt, in his uh, message a few months, uh, weeks ago, said, don't be weird. And I'll kind of try not to be. But, but it's quite a, a profound question. And I wrestled with that. And it, it, it kind of got to me that I think I believe something when I know it is true, when I accept it something as true. But when it, that truth transfers to something that then changes my language, then I'm starting to believe it. And if it goes on and changes my behavior and my actions, then I believe it. So I believe what I believe when the truth turns into words and then the words turn into actions because actions do speak louder than words, as it said. And so that's the kind of flow I've been in and the place where I was when I kind of came and started to, to kind of prepare this, this talk this morning. So if we go back to the, those words in Hosea and as it says, Mercy, not sacrifice, knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I was thinking knowledge of God and what does that kind of mean? Knowledge of God to me means that understanding of truth, that thing that I can then speak of the character of God because I know him. That I know kind of who he is and and. I, I, I can kind of verbalize, it becomes kind of part of me, the character of God. You see, as a church, we're really amazing at serving. And as I was saying that earlier, I, I've been struck so much about what, how servant-hearted we are um, and, and how our servant-heartedness points so powerfully towards the kingdom of God, you know, and God's values. And, you know, be it from our, our whole leadership kind of ethos where we have servant-hearted leaders who create an environment where we will thrive and grow and f discover God, but without kind of being 
beaten up about it, and, but, but it's a safe place. We've got servant-hearted people who are out in the kitchen, you know, cooking for today. We've got servant-hearted people who put the chairs out. It's so much part of the culture, and we point so much towards God in that, because these are not things that are done for some egotistical reason, but they're done because of a love of God, and they point us towards him. But the question I started to get to was, does our language match up with our servant-heartedness, if that's a good word? Do you know what I mean? Do we reflect that? Is our language kingdom language, you know, where our behavior is kingdom directed, but is our language kingdom language? Is that language that we use when we're sat around the table at breakfast with the kids or we're at work having coffee or wherever we are, when we're sat in, in circles, as it were, not in rows, you know, when we're sat around looking at people and not looking at a screen, is our language kind of kingdom language? Does it reflect the kind of truths that we know, that, you know, the things that we know the truth, and that's when we believe it, you know, and is that coming through? And it, 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 I got the thought of, you know, we people often talk about, don't they? Do you practice what you preach? I think the question God's asking us is, do we preach what we're practicing? Which is an odd way to put it, but it's, it's true because the, the authenticity of, of what we do is very dependent on what we're saying. Just to kind of bring this into a bit of focus, I just want to, I don't know if you, what you think about this, I'd just like to look at a verse, and we could just look at a few words out of a verse, and to see if we actually believe them, how that might change or might direct our language. So, if we could, I'm going to look at 1 Peter 2.9 for this, um, which is up there, helpfully, and we'll just look at a few of the words in there. Um, the whole verse, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a peculiar people in the King James Version, that you may proclaim the excellencies um, of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvellous light. Because if we believe what we believe, then that is going to change, surely, our language. Because if we believe that we are chosen, for instance, if we believe that we're chosen, oh, that's an honouring place, isn't it? That's a high place, and it's a place of authority. That, you know, it's like God going into a wine cellar full of amazing wines, and he sees you and says, that's the one I want. I don't know why it would be me, and I don't know why it would be you, but he's chosen us. And that's, that's a privileged place. And he describes us as being royal. I mean, being royal is a big thing. We represent the monarchy. We represent the very highest power. And that's what he says about us. He says we're holy that our sin is dealt with, and not only is it just dealt with, we are righteous in his eyes, you know? That's, that's a, a place and a half, you know? 
his own possession or peculiar people, which I think is a lovely term, because actually it does mean this thing of belonging and being called out. If we t actually believe these things, I'm putting it to you that it's got to change our language so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him because that's what people need to hear from us, that truth. You know, kingdom language has got to flow from us to be consistent with the things that we do. Kingdom language, and I was trying to think of some words that might kind of spark in. I'm sure you'll think of much better words that would describe kingdom language. I was thinking like words of mercy, compassion, forgiveness, encouragement, empathy understanding and generosity and words like that should be in our vocabulary and not words that tear people down that criticize that mock and tease you know that shouldn't be in our vocabulary we should be speaking to those who don't deserve to be spoken to in our view but we need to be alongside them because they need to hear those things it's like me that in business you know i get a lot of reps come in the, you know, from different companies and they might be selling fans or boilers or whatever. They represent their company. Now, they never come in and say, oh, I'll tell you what, this firm is rubbish. You don't know how much trouble I've had with them. You know, they don't do that. Yet, as Christians, you, you hear people saying, oh, well, church, oh, dear, what? What's that like then? It's not on, you know? We're representatives. We know these truths. How can we possibly, possibly go around speaking in those sort of terms? You know, servanthood is critical. And I'm not saying that the words, it, it's like a balance of these two things, that servanthood and our language have got to go together. They've got to sit in, in, in like a harmony together. I was thinking, you know, that it's interesting. I think that Jesus, when he did miracles, there's lots of reasons he performed miracles. Um, and, and they're kind of fulfilling of prophecy. There are all sorts of things which I'm sure you understand better than me. But one thing they did, they authenticated the words that he said. They weren't in isolation. I think people would have been very confused if they'd been in isolation, but they authenticated him and his words. And in the same way that our actions need to be authenticated by what we say, you know, I think that, yeah, it's got to be contextualized. In Isaiah, it says somewhere, doesn't it, that your good works are like filthy rags. Now, the reason that's a confusing thing to hear, but what I believe it's saying is that in isolation, they're worthless. It's no good just doing good things. They've got to be sit in a context of what God is speaking through us and what he's got to say. Kingdom language, you know, but in the shadow of the sacrifice that he gave for us. And that kind of is where I got to with this message. But I don't know about, if you ever speak, I, I do kind of develop a, a message and some ideas around it. You know, you think you get to a place where it kind of sits quite nicely and, and that's where it is, that and for this, the reinforcement that there has to be this balance between what we're saying and what we're doing. There's got to be the balance. But then I felt God 
kind of draw me just a little bit further down that line. Because they're all true, all the things we've spoken of. And doing good things for the sake of it isn't really the answer. It is doing them in context. That our language must be consistent. And we should be speaking kingdom language. And, and we're doing that when we interact with people. Kingdom language is key. But the bit that kind of hit me is a deeper question again is what is the language that you use to yourself? Is that kingdom language? Is it all very well being good at uh, encouraging other people, being positive to people and speaking over other people's lives? Yet, you will say things like this about yourself. I always mess things up, you know. It's always, it always happens to me. Not really good enough. I'm a disaster waiting to happen. I'm so awkward, I'm a failure. I could never do this. I could never give my testimony. I couldn't, I can't, I won't, because there's a limitation on me. I'm not good enough. I'm not entitled to be in that place. In Luke 6, 45, it says this, the mouth that speaks, uh, sorry, the mouth speaks in the overflow of the heart. We need to listen to ourselves, you know, what we're saying, because if we're saying those things, then we're not believing what we believe. We're lying to ourselves, actually. That's the truth. We can believe it as a truth for somebody else, but we're not seeing it as a truth for us. And that's robbing us, robbing us of the biggest thing that God's given us. You know, we're saying it's okay for everybody else, but it's, it's not really there for me. You know, and I just, you know, think we're not weird, you know, we really aren't. But we are a peculiar people and we're called out. And I think God wants to just remind us simply this morning that that's your place, your entitlement, your, your inheritance that he has for us. But there was one other thing, and this thing I feel a bit vulnerable about. Because he gave me one last word, and this is a very personal word. I think that, you know, if, if you're feeling any of those things about being inadequate and, and God not kind of those truths that we believe are true, not applying to you, then there's loads of guys will get around you and may somebody just with you, just sit with you and just pray that through and ask God to release that. But I think there's one other thing, and I don't know who this is for, and I find a bit vulnerable on this because I think God's got a particular word for a particular person. I have no idea who it is. And I really struggled with this because I wanted to contextualize this word and say, oh, well, I think it means this and it's only But he, I very much felt God say, shut up, just pass on the word because it means it will mean something to somebody, but you don't need to know about it. And the word is this, that he knows that there is a stone in your heart and you need to get alongside somebody who, who loves you and, and will protect you and it will be confidential with you and bring it before God with you. So that's for you. Thank you very much. <laughs>